hard to believe it's already October. 2020 has been a strange year. And for a lot of us, 2020 has been a challenging year. And I'm here to help you out just in time for the holidays. Halloween is right around the corner, plus Thanksgiving, Christmas. Before you know it, it'll be 2021. Well, we're probably all really looking forward to that, but the holidays can be a very stressful time for families who maybe you're having to stretch that budget a little further. And with all the extra wrinkles and expenses this year, this could be the most challenging holiday season ever for a lot of families. And that's where I think SaveWithConrad.com can help you out. I hope so, at least. We've routinely helped our podcast listeners save five, six, seven, even 800 bucks a month. And you don't need perfect credit or money out of your pocket to do this. If you've unfortunately racked up a bunch of debt and now you find yourself feeling stuck, making minimum payments, SaveWithConrad.com can help you. First of all, we're going to show you how to get out of debt faster at a much better interest rate and do it with cheaper monthly payments. Here's how we do this. First of all, we're going to get you a better deal on your mortgage. Most Americans have an interest rate in the fours, fives, or sixes, but we're routinely helping our podcast listeners get interest rates in the twos and threes. And I've been doing mortgages for 19 years. I've never been able to offer rates in the twos, but I'm doing it every day now. And I'd love to run the numbers for you and show you how much you can save by taking advantage of these historic rates while we've still got them. We've all got this election looming. Nobody knows exactly what that's going to do to rates, but I know we've got the best rates we've ever had right now. But the time to act is now before it's too late. And how's this for starters? No house payments for two months. You won't have to make your November or your December payment. You're done until next year. Wouldn't that be nice? Let's go ahead and finish up 2020 with no house payments. I mean, let's face it. Your house payments, your single biggest bill, right? Now imagine if you got to pocket two months of that, that's going to be the cash infusion you need just in time for the holidays. And oh yeah, don't put Christmas on a credit card. We can show you how to get rid of all that credit card debt once and for all. So by the time 2021 rolls around, you've got a much better interest rate. You've got a much better mortgage. You've got no credit card debt, and it really is the clean slate. Maybe you've been looking. Let's make it happen for you right now. Get a quick quote for free at SaveWithConrad.com. We're licensed in more than 40 states. You don't need perfect credit, and you don't need money out of your pocket to see if we can save you some cash. So what have you got to lose? Two house payments, a lot of stress, unnecessary interest. You've got a lot to lose, but only if you hurry right now to SaveWithConrad.com. NMLS number 65084, Equal Housing Lender. It's SaveWithConrad.com. The most hated jeweler in America is excited to introduce you to someone very special. She's beautiful, classy, and she's brilliant. She will dazzle you. People can't stop staring at her. Meet Krista. She's easy. Wait, what? Krista is Steven Singer's most loved engagement ring and takes the stress and guesswork out of finding the perfect ring. A bright white, 100% eye flawless, near colorless, high quality, round, brilliant cut diamond expertly set into a classic solitaire Tiffany setting that will withstand the test of time. Krista is available. She's ready for love and ready to meet you. Steven Singer isn't in the jewelry business. He's in the love business. This magnificent full one carat round, brilliant cut diamond is only 31.98. Real jewelry doesn't have to be expensive. Plus free shipping and 12 months interest-free financing. Steven's showroom is open by appointment only or go now to IHateStevenSinger.com and click on the Krista ready for love engagement ring. 
Steven Singer Jewelers, real jewelry, real experts for your real love. That's IHateStevenSinger.com. Hey, it's Conrad Thompson, and you're listening to Arn. And of course, we couldn't do it without the founder of the Four Horsemen, the Hall of Famer himself, Double A, Arn Anderson. Arn, how are you, man? I'm doing good. How are you? Man, better than I deserve. Excited to be with you. I've enjoyed us marching through 2010. Uh, Bragging Rights 2010 is our show today. And uh, of course, next week, we're doing another hashtag Ask Arn Anything. Arn, I'm pretty fired up about this one, man. This is, uh, I have to admit, I wasn't at my peak fandom in 2010, but there's a lot of interesting stuff, especially with the benefit of hindsight going on. Uh, this show went down on October 24th. Uh, it's at the target center in Minneapolis, Minnesota. You got any good Minnesota wrestling stories? I know a lot of, uh, your brethren came from that area. Uh, and I guess in, in kayfabe, maybe once upon a time you did too, but chat me up. Minneapolis, Minnesota. Is it a wrestling town or not so much? Well, number one, I am from Southern Minnesota. (laughs) Rome, Minnesota, to be exact. That's correct. I tell you what, we used to, uh, there was one time in a snowstorm, we ran, uh, Minneapolis and we were stuck staying over there. I forget. I think we're going to probably go to green Bay the next day, but, uh, there was a gym, which is world famous where all those guys from Minnesota worked out. You've heard the stories about that place, right? The gym. Yep. It's where the Zubas were based. The guys that owned, you know, Zubas and road warriors bought into it and were the face of Zubas and, Barry Darso, Rude, uh, Kurt Henning, uh, I mean, the countless number of guys, plus Eddie Sharkey trained all those guys. There was just a lot of of things centered around uh, Minneapolis. It was a hotbed for talent. I mean, everybody trained at that one gym, the gym, and, man, everybody was jacked. It was, uh, it was just uh, almost like a breeding ground for talent in those days. And, uh, but I tell you what, the weather can turn on the dime and it did. We went from it just being like a, okay, high of 50 and clear to overnight. There was a foot of snow on the ground and we ended up, you know, having to do some pretty serious drinking. And for some reason we decided to all just meet at the gym. I don't know why. So we just sat in there, and there's a picture I've got somewhere of it put up that's pretty classic of all the guys. Midnight Express were there. and There was probably 10 of us. Road Warriors were there, a bunch of those guys, T. Joe Kahn. Uh, and, man, we just sat at the gym and drank till about 4 in the morning. It, it was a great time. Oh, the good old days. This is the uh, second year for bragging rights. It's going to get 137,000 buys. It's down from 181,000 the prior year. Attendance that night is reported to be about 9,000. And the Target Center holds like almost 20,000 at full attendance. So less than half the arena is filled. Do you think this is a case of Minnesota being a soft market? The business is cyclical, or as you like to say, uh, fans just didn't want to see it that night? Well, I think it's another case of throwing a bunch of just just gimmick 
pay-per-views at them once a month, twice a month, and it's just overkill. It's just too much for people. And in those days, they're paying full price, right? Right. You know, to ask a guy twice, and I don't know if you had two in a month, you know, during this particular month, I didn't research it. but Yeah, they're three I, weeks apart. You know, Conrad, for your average person, and I get it, you know, to pay that twice a month, plus your cable bill and all your other bills is pretty stout order to yeah. ask from people. And I just think they pick and choose the ones that have the most luster on them. And bragging rights was basically the theme of it. But if you really break it down, what what monetary value is there in bragging rights for anything? Hey, I'm a better fisherman than you, Okay. What's that pay? Hey, I could throw a better curveball than you can. In this particular case, that's all it was about, Raw or SmackDown, and it was, you know, bragging rights based on one match and the winner of that match. It wasn't even a situation, I think, previously, the year before, it was the sum of the matches and whoever won the lion's share of the matches had the bragging rights. Was that, am I off on that? No, I don't think so. You know, and, and maybe you can poke some holes in this. Meltzer says the only reason this pay-per-view even exists, bragging rights, the reason it's brought back is to help promote the video game, which at the time was SmackDown versus raw. And I guess that makes sense. I mean, the sponsor of this show is that video game. Uh, and they're even going to do like a mashup of the raw and SmackDown sets where the ropes are half red, half blue. This has got to be a first where the company is really sort of saying, Hey, we're going to build a pay-per-view around a video game. Well, and if that's the case, I'm sure that it was financially a success, huge success. If, if you're combining all those factors into the goal of the pay-per-view, then it, then it was successful. I'm sure. Yeah. I mean, listen, it's one hand washes the other, I guess. Let's talk about what's going on behind the scenes in the world of wrestling before we get to the show itself, the WWE network according to the observer was targeted for a 2011 release, but it was delayed with a new target set for January of 2012. Of course, we know it wound up actually debuting and launching on February 24th, 2014. It's pretty remarkable to think that Vince wanted to launch that three years prior to when he actually did. He certainly would have been way ahead of the curve there. What were you hearing about what the network could be or might be here in 2010? Well, when you have your own network and you're pushing only your product, I mean, my mind was, was kind of redlining. It's like, my God, the potential there, you know, the amount of content, you know, the going back to the trivia, you know, going back to, I was picturing wrestling from the sixties and seventies and basically everything that had ever been taped by a handheld video camera or a, or a Kodak camera having snapshots, you know, I was just looking at that being unbelievable potential and uh, the amount of just sheer volume that could be put on there. And once you own your own network, for some reason in my mind, I was picturing it like us having a CBS or ABC or NBC at our disposal. Uh, wasn't quite that, but, um, network with purely wrestling and wrestling content, you know, it, it turned out to be exactly what I thought it would be. It, it, it's, it's a plethora of anything from any generation, basically that you want to see. 
And for to this day, for the life of me, for nine ninety nine, I can't figure out why everybody that has a TV doesn't have it. Yeah, especially if you're even a casual wrestling fan, it, it is a, a big value. It can be a little frustrating, especially if you're in a hurry or running late, to find yourself at a railway crossing waiting for a train. And if the signals are going and the train's not even there yet, you may feel a bit tempted to try and sneak across the tracks. Well, don't ever. To the naked eye, trains often appear to be further away and moving slower than they are. They can't stop quickly. Even if the engineer hits the emergency brakes right away, it can take a train over a mile to stop. Over a mile to stop. By that time, it's too late, and the result is a potentially deadly crash. The point is, you can't know how quickly the train will arrive. The trains can't stop quickly. Even if it sees you, it ends in disaster. Signals are on, the train is on its way. And you just need to remember one thing stop. Trains can't. Let's talk about something else that has getting a little bit of press 10 years ago. Kevin Nash does an interview, and, and perhaps he's referencing the Nexus angle, but he says something along the lines of it takes seven years before you can get over and draw money. And Meltzer even reports that he called the WWE youth movement, what they're doing here with the Nexus and pushing the young guys. Kevin Nash says that's a mistake. Chris Jericho does another interview and totally disagrees with what Kevin Nash said and says, no, it only takes six or seven months to get over maybe. And even blast Kevin Nash for being short-sighted. It's funny that this comes up now because I don't know, maybe two weeks ago. I had a conversation with Eric Bischoff, maybe a little longer than that, about um, how long it takes to get over. And he thought it took eight years. You got to be on TV. You got to be established. You got to be on top for eight years. And then you can really draw money. And of course you have to then dig in and say, well, how do you define drawing money? And we cited some different exceptions. Of course, there are exceptions. Uh, Roman Reigns perhaps is an exception. John Cena, perhaps is an exception. Of course, the rock and Goldberg are exceptions, but I'm curious your take. Do you think there is sort of a, a general rule of thumb for how long an audience has to be acquainted with you and familiar with you before you're, uh, over and drawing money, quote unquote. Well, this is what I always, uh, tell people. And this was my experience of the time that, that I was coming up in the business from 82 on in those days, I feel like it took you about five years. So that, and that's 300 plus days a year now, mind you, uh, to learn the business from, from, I'm talking about from coming out of nowhere, no knowledge, anything, no training, none of the above, not being second generation or third generation wrestler. None of those things figured in for a lay person walking in off the street. I felt like it was about, you know, 1500 matches. And that was with a lot of variables go into that. When did you first start getting to do promos? How were you used in those first five years? Did you start off your first territory or your second territory or your third territory working underneath? Where were you positioned, you know, after that inaugural, you know, because back then there weren't necessarily wrestling schools. You know, you might've got trained by an individual guy, 
that had access to a ring, maybe like myself, you had about eight workouts, maybe 10 at the most, and you were thrown out there into the uh, lion's den and you learned on the job. Um, how many, how much opportunity did you have to do promos, local promos, uh, like I said, were you used in territories to where, like, you know, the one thing about Bill Watts territory and everyone that worked there will tell you first match, 15 to 20 minutes, no punching or kicking. That was the rule period. Well, in six months, you could learn how to wrestle because you had to, you didn't have the option of brawling it was not an option. A lot of nights you would go 20 minute broadways which is through going through the time limit, you know, time limit draw. What a learning experience that was. And for being my first territory, man, it couldn't have came at a bigger time. And then you go to a place like Tennessee and you learn showbiz. And we used to call it Tennessee high spots. You know, some people use it as a negative. I always looked at it as being a positive because it was so entertaining and it was different from anything I'd seen. I did not work there. I just saw some of the guys that had been there and their style of work, and it was different, had a different layer to it. But I would say uh, if you got elevated after your second territory, kind of, and then you were able to go for a year in a territory where you're working with top guys, the key to this whole thing, the key to our business, it's a real simple rule working with somebody better than you every night. That's how you get better. If you work with somebody at the same skill level or below, you're not going to get better. You've got to be in there with somebody better than you. So that was kind of the criteria that I looked at. And again, you got to look at the time frame. If you're going to draw money, there's a big difference in working for a territory that don't have the access or the opportunity or the capability of doing WWE-esque vignettes on you. I mean, when it used to be, if you had your talent skill level down and you were ready for to be that in that top spot, for them to bring you in and do six or eight weeks of vignettes on you, you were a star walking in the door. As soon as you parted the curtain, they knew who you were. They knew if they liked you or not already, and they had an impression on you. The smaller companies that didn't have those capabilities to do those world-class vignettes like a Pensacola territory or no budget, then it was, you know, you had less star power, you know, less tools to help you get over. So everything is, is variable, I think, depending on which territory and exactly what year we're talking about. But I would say five years, and if you have all the trappings and all the vehicles, you know, they made me an Anderson when I walked in the door and, and uh, for Jim Crockett Promotions, you know, they didn't have a bunch of vignettes on me. But when I walked in and they said, this is an Anderson, it was an immediate launching pad and advantage that I had over a lot of people just walking in the door. So, well, long, an long answer, I know. No, 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 we like that. That's what we're here for. Let's talk about your old pal, Matt Hardy. On October 14th, Matt Hardy is granted his release after trying for a release for some time. He said in an interview that it was harder to get his release than it was to get hired. 
and, uh, Hardy said he could finally reinvent himself. And of course we know eventually a few years later, he would do that with the broken Matt Hardy character. It does feel like over time, for whatever reason, the WWE has not really known what to do with Matt Hardy. Why do you think that is? Well, I don't think Matt Hardy will ever be a quote heel because my God, they were babies probably when they first did their first television you know, for WWF at the time, they started so young and the audience actually grew up with the Hardys. They saw the evolution of the Hardys. They were there from the very beginning. And, and when you spend that much time with a couple of guys who are, you know, they're endearing, they have that endearing quality. Jeff Hardy is, you know, he was a high flyer before high flying was fashionable. You know, he did all the, you know, the, the crazy stuff way back when, which separated him out. You know, Matt was a part of that as well. Uh, but I just think that, uh, when you grow up with somebody, you get comfortable with them, you know how they are. And, you know, being from North Carolina, they're Southern boys, which means they're gentlemen. They just have that easy, you know, cool, easy swagger about them. And I think, by growing up with the audience, the audience is just used to them and that's who they are to the audience. Let's, uh, let's talk about Freddie Prince jr. Uh, he's rehired by the WWE in this era as a producer and director. He had a brief run as part of the writing team, the prior year back in 2009 and Meltzer would say the story we got is that Prince jr. Got back in touch with the company in August and said he was interested in working there again, but he didn't want to travel to Stanford. So he's going to be at a lot of the TV shoots. He's going to be involved with the backstage pre-tapes on-site vignettes, and will be involved in a lot of the creative meetings, but be via conference call from LA. He'll fly in for a lot of the television shoots, but not all of them. He was generally well-liked by everyone in creative when he was there. This is an interesting story because I think a lot of people know Freddie Prince jr. From his work on the screen, not necessarily behind the scenes. But once fans heard he was involved, they wondered, uh, what was it like to work with Freddie Prince jr? Did you have any experience with him? Remember any particular angles or stories or stuff y'all worked on together? Yeah. I like, I liked Freddie. Uh, liked him a lot. You know, um, my wife could tell you, you know, all the movies that were, that he was in and she liked his acting ability and, you know, she thought he was cute. Uh, you know, and uh, it was one of our favorites. Um, keep it in mind, you know, her age uh, at the time. Uh, significantly younger than me by about nine years. Um, but Freddie was a guy, the one thing that I've always respected, Conrad, it's, it's people that come into our business from other places, Hollywood and all that. First of all, I get a... a, a you know, a finger on the pulse of, do they respect the business? Do they know anything about our business? Do they have any qualifications? What would lead them to believe they can walk into our industry, which is totally different from any other form of entertainment and make a contribution. And once, once you assess them or once I do, then I have an, an opinion about them one way or the other. Plus you know, I want to give them a chance and, 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 uh, 
you know, treat them the way I want to be treated if I walked into their environment. I, you know, try to make them comfortable. And Freddie had a good working knowledge and was a big fan, but a, a very knowledgeable fan about what we do. And that that grabbed me right away. And, uh, you know, the guy wanted to dig his heels in and contribute. And he was good helping the kids on promo class. A lot of things backstage pre-tapes, he lended a lot of expertise to because cameras were the way he made his living. And uh, I thought he made a good contribution to the company. The most hated jeweler in America is excited to introduce you to someone very special. She's beautiful, classy, and she's brilliant. She will dazzle you. People can't stop staring at her. Meet Krista. She's easy. Wait, what? Krista is Steven Singer's most loved engagement ring and takes the stress and guesswork out of finding the perfect ring. A bright white, 100% eye flawless, near colorless, high quality, round, brilliant cut diamond expertly set into a classic solitaire Tiffany setting that will withstand the test of time. Krista is available. She's ready for love and ready to meet you. Steven Singer isn't in the jewelry business. He's in the love business. This magnificent full one carat round brilliant cut diamond is only $31.98. Real jewelry doesn't have to be expensive, plus free shipping and 12 months interest-free financing. Steven's showroom is open by appointment only, or go now to IHateStevenSinger.com and click on the Krista Ready for Love Engagement Ring. Steven Singer Jewelers, real jewelry, real experts for your real love. That's I hate Steven Singer. Dot com. Well, that's great to hear. You know, it feels like he was well-liked and uh, that's certainly a report that we got from Meltzer too. Chris Benoit's dad is going to take a shot at Linda Meltzer would write when he was in Hartford, Michael Benoit claimed Linda McMahon was running only to protect the WWE and said, he believes the way the McMahon handled the death of his son and his family and their approach to the health of their performers should disqualify her from being in Congress quote. I'm almost thankful this lady is running for the Senate of the United States. Why? Because it's put her company right in the spotlight and given me an opportunity to talk about what I believe is the underlying reasons for all the deaths in the industry. This is something that we don't talk a lot about, but Chris's dad, Michael, what do you think about these comments and sort of pointing the finger at WWE for all this? And I'm going to disappoint you on this and I apologize. The whole Chris thing, I have yet to wrap my head around. Sure. Uh, um, the guy I knew wasn't capable of doing this. The, uh, you know, a lot of the, a lot of the unknowns will never know. I know the tragedy of the result, which I is unforgivable, but I, I just to be honest with you, I've not had any resolution about it in my mind. I can't wrap my head around it, like I said, so I don't feel comfortable discussing Mr. Benoit and, and his slant. I'm sure, you know, he has something that he'll never be able to get rid of and never be able to shake it. And uh, my heart goes out to him. I just really can't comment on that and, and say anything that would be for sure and uh, intelligent. Yeah, listen, it was... Um... It was something that shocked the world, not just the wrestling world, but everybody, because you just don't, 
expect to hear a story like that. And I think everybody's sort of scratching their heads on the other side, wanting to know, Hey, why, and, and is there something we could have done and, and how could we have helped and how can we make sure this doesn't happen again? And is this a teachable moment? And I think there were more questions maybe than answers, at least short term. And I think, you know, one of the results of, of the whole Benoit tragedy, and I, I hate to bring it back to wrestling, but that's one of the reasons that people started to really sit up and pay attention to head trauma and the way it's treated in wrestling, right? It certainly helped put a spotlight on it. Yeah, it sure did. You know, I, and I would just say this about Chris, you know, ask any wrestler that's any spent any time in the locker room with him, any time on the road with him, any time in the ring with him, nobody saw this coming. Right. That's what makes it so scary. There were no warning signs that any of us saw. He, the last time I saw him, he was as kind and as, as professional as he was the first time I saw him. So to say there were warning signs that were ignored. Now I'm talking about in our world. I'm not talking sure. about when he went, went home or anything like that in the confines of his home and his family life. We don't know about, but the times I saw him, there was no indicators, which makes it so scary. It's, um, unbelievable. We'll talk about it another time. Let's get back on track here. The night before bragging rights, there's a much talked about sport happening. Of course, it's UFC 121. The reason it's of particular interest here is we've got Cain Velasquez defeating Brock Lesnar by TKO in four minutes and 12 seconds of the very first round to win the heavyweight title. The event does over a million buys. The next night, of course, bragging rights does 137,000 buys at crown jewel. We get a rematch if you will. And this time it's uh, in the WWE last year, 2019 Lesnar would beat Kane. It took a minute and 28 seconds. It was a appointment television for wrestling fans. And I'm sure a lot of the folks within the industry, whenever Brock Lesnar stepped inside the octagon, were you shocked to see Kane make such short work of Brock? No, when you got heavy hitters like that and you got heavy hands like those guys do, those heavyweights, man, they will knock your head completely off. Well, the lights were, lightweights will too, but the heavyweights, man, are, are just, you don't see a lot of five round fights with two top heavyweights. You, I mean, you just don't, you know, it's a, it could go in 30 seconds. It could, it could go five rounds and they beat themselves into a coma just about, you know, I've, I've seen both, both ways. So we knew that Brock was going to go for the kill just by his nature and Cain Velasquez, you know, he was a really skilled guy that that's what he had trained for. He wasn't a professional wrestler or, or anything else. He's a professional fighter. Right. So, so we knew that one had the potential to have a quick finish and fireworks and it did. Let's talk about Kane for a minute. You know, he popped up and did a big match in Mexico wearing a mask. And I think he even pulled off a little aerial maneuver and he had a lot of eyes on him. And I think there may have even been some preliminary interest from Cody and the gang and saying, Hey man, this might be a guy uh, again. I didn't talk to anybody about that. I'm just saying there was a lot of buzz around him. He winds up signing with WWE. He's on that first big SmackDown once they're on network TV. And well, he wasn't long for that world. Would you be surprised if you saw Kane 
take a stab at wrestling somewhere else now that he's no longer with WWE or do you think he got it out of his system? Well, I don't know. You'd have to ask him, but I think he had, he has so much raw athletic ability and he has such a look. I mean, he scares me just looking at him on TV. You know, he's got that eye of the tiger gimmick. Um, I, I think if he truly has always been a closet fan and loved wrestling, like as a kid, like most of us and grown up, but you know, he just took a different path as far as the, as the UFC and the MMA stuff. If it's still kind of stirring in his belly, you know, when things heat back up, I wouldn't be surprised to see him get re-signed with WWE because I don't think they've got their full benefit out of him. And I don't think, you know, he's had a chance to, you know, with enough training and some more training with and some on-the-job training with some, some skilled talent that, you uh, we've seen the last or the best of him. I hope not. Uh, I had a chance to meet him several years ago. Nice guy. Couldn't be nicer. Uh, he seems like a big wrestling fan too. And anytime you can bring an outsider in who has a passion for it and they're not just there quote unquote for the payday, but they really love it. Like we saw what Ronda Rousey did. And I mean, those guys can be real needle movers for you to a new fan base or loyal fan base is going to be there as long as they can. I shouldn't say they'll always be there. Cause we've seen some of that erode over time, but when you can get sort of the casual guy who maybe used to watch wrestling and doesn't anymore, I think they call him the lapsed fan, uh, shout out to JP and them either way though. I do think that there is more meat on the bone for Kane, or I hope so. Well, let, let me just say this about a lot of those guys that I've met. And, and let me tell you, I was, a when I found out Ronda Rousey, and her crew were using the horsewomen thing for her to know who I was. Right. Ronda Rousey was the biggest star in MMA for a time, male or female. And I'm a huge fan of MMA. And for her to, for that, you know, you're talking about being flattered and things throughout history that, that have been cool and people we've got to meet and all that. Meeting Ronda under the circumstances of, of the respect level she has for what we do and wanting to associate, excuse me, Jesus, associate herself with, uh, with the horseman, you know, I was hugely flattered and her husband turned out to be such a gentleman and a hell of a fighter too. And it's, uh, Daniel Cormier, who I've talked to a couple of times backstage in LA. It's like across the board, they're such quality people. Uh, it's just, you know, to get to meet them and find out that not only will they rip your head off, you know, as soon as, you know, the, the fight starts backstage, they're really quality human beings and, uh, that makes it even better. So, you know, I'm a fan of their sport across the board. So listen, we all know that 2020 has been a little nuts, but that doesn't mean you should disregard your nuts, no matter what size or shape they're in. In fact, Manscaped is on a mission to take care of your manhood with their below-the-waist grooming and hygiene products. And great news, they've just released their products in the UK, Canada, and Australia. We all know a story where somebody has gotten a little too much color on accident, trimming their little delicates or big delicates. Uh, But that's a thing of the past now because Manscaped is here to save the day. And Manscaped has just relieved the new crop care kit is a formulation bundle to give you a plus balls and it's the ultimate male hygiene hack the crop care kit 
includes the crop preserver ball deodorant. The name there speaks for itself. You've even got the crop reviver ball toner. This is a spray on toner. That's going to give your balls a little slice of heaven with their aloe vera and hazel extracts. They've got a crop cleanser, body wash, a full body wash. You could also use on your hair. They've got the crop mop ball wipes. Never know when an opportunity strikes. You need to be prepared at all times. What about foot deodorant? The new foot duster. It's a free gift that's designed to keep the stankiest feet smelling fresh. And let's not forget. It's all about the best trimmer for your butt, your balls, your body. It's the lawnmower 3.0. It's got a replaceable ceramic blade with that same great advanced skin safe technology. It's going to help you reduce those grooming accidents. They've even got waterproof technology. So you can groom in the shower for up to 90 minutes. We should also mention that all these formulations are all vegan, cruelty-free, dye-free, sulfate-free, and paraben-free. So you know your manhood is in good hands. And you're probably playing with your balls right now. You might as well, in- <laughs> might as well invest in the crop care kit to make your balls elite. The the elite balls. Yeah. Get 20% plus free shipping at manscaped.com with the promo code ARN. If you care for your beautiful balls of yours. All you've got to do is go to that site, hit a few buttons on your phone here, change your life for the better brother. Get 20% off and free shipping at manscaped.com with the promo code ARN and, uh, add some swag to your saggy bag. That's real folks. Add some swag to your saggy bag at manscaped.com and our promo code, of course, 83 weeks. It's, uh. It's going to be fun to see what happens next with Kane. And, and for that matter, if Rhonda ever comes back and you got to think at some point, the timing will line up, let's get to the event itself. Bragging rights, 2010. We're going to get things started with a dark match. We've got MVP winning over Chavo Guerrero. And then on the opening match of the show, it's Daniel Bryan and Dolph Ziggler. It's a non-title match. It's SmackDown versus raw. Uh, Meltzer dug it. He gave it three and a half stars. Fans were chanting Bryan. From very early in the match and the crowd was super hot for this. Michael Cole is on commentary, trying to push Brian with the nickname, Mr. Bland. I don't know if that's exactly how you help get a guy over. Uh, they're doing lots of early mat work, which I'm sure you were a big fan of. Uh, Ziggler of course is a legitimate amateur badass doing a bunch of amateur takedowns. And, uh, this was good stuff. I like the way it started. Matt strikers on commentary, Jerry Lawler's on commentary. What did you think of this one? I thought this was a, a really, really great match. Well, I think Colin and Mr. Bland is Mr. Bullshit. Yeah. You know, you know what I think. And again, it's one of those deals. Use him because the audience, he's catching fire. And anybody with two eyes can see it. The, the audience likes Daniel. He's every man. He's the overachiever. He's a guy that's out there with skills, but maybe he doesn't have, you know, the, the, the size and the power of a lot of guys, but he's very skilled and he's done his homework and he, he's got guts for days, you know, all those things, but it's one of those deals. It's another one of those that, uh, you know, let's, let's let him go out and get over to a degree but let's just don't turn the water spigot wide open, you know, because that alone calling him Mr. Bland. Yeah. I just asked one thing, Conrad, cause I don't want to get off on a negative tangent about any company or anything. Uh, let me just ask you this. If this is a performer on our show and he's a moneymaker going to be for us, and he's going to be a featured part of our talent, 
why would you ever speak about him negatively or talk down about him or do anything other than enhance you know what's going to become a big part of our company that never made sense to me for our announcers to just knock in that kind of way you know our talent i I just will never get it i've never got it you know it just is a mistake and and you've seen it it's like they want you to get over but they don't want you to get too over and it's all because they don't want you to have any power so that you can control your destiny they want blind obedience it goes back to that same common thread. But let me tell you, the match with him and Dolph Ziggler, four stars at least. Yeah. yeah. And two guys that understand the business, two guys understand, you know, putting the wrestling into the match, which a lot of matches you'll see in their entirety doesn't have anything to do with wrestling. It's high spot central. Uh this one would have been a, uh, it would have been a crash course in how to work, I would imagine. And it just benefited both guys. It's a great way to start a pay-per-view off because at the end of it, you've got a good taste in the audience's mouth. And, it, you know, it's only going to go up from there. But you really set the mood and set the precedent. I, uh, I agree. I, I think you could enjoy this one more with the commentary off. And we should mention that Mr. Bland thing wouldn't have been something that Michael Cole did on his own. We know that comes from up top and there's something else in here that boy, it just does not age. Well, I mean, it shouldn't have happened uh, Lawler and striker. And I'm sure this is a directive because they wouldn't have done it otherwise in real life. Two great guys, but man, they're just piling on Vicky here saying that a truck hit her because it was too far to drive around her and noting that her arms jiggle when she claps, just lots of, I don't know, shitty fat jokes. And and they did this a few times to women there where it just feels like we're just being mean on commentary. Isn't that well, weird? Like why does that, why is that necessary? Do you think? Well, it's not, it's not necessary. We as a society have determined it's not necessary, nor is it acceptable. You know, we have, I think we have, as a nation at least, have grown up, you know, at least to uh, acknowledge the fact that, that, you know, you shouldn't say fat or skinny or ugly or any of those things that are derogatory towards, you know, a person. Why? I mean, what, what, where's your benefit? Where's that going to draw you any money? Where does that get you? It just feels like. It's just shaming, and it uh, back in those days there wasn't as much, you know, brought to the forefront as there is in our society now. Could have never happened with social media because they would have jumped all over it, you know. But you didn't have social media to the degree you have now. So, you know, again, I tell you the rules that I grew up with in the business, and here's here's the way it is: you don't say fat. You don't say too small. You don't say too old because guess what? Down the road somewhere, that guy may be your opponent. And guess what? You got beat by a fat old guy. What does that make you look like? Right. So it's just common sense back in the day. Well, it's just weird that I don't know so much about this is weird. Calling Daniel, Mr. Bland, when 
he's so over here. I mean, he's super over. It is a little weird not hearing all the yes chants, but that would come years later. So it's just a reminder that man, this guy's over with this audience. Next up, we get a backstage skit with the raw team. Santino gets the biggest reaction. He's playing up this comedy angle really hard. And there's major friction between, uh, the raw brand stars. Cohesion seems to be, uh, likely to play a little role in the events to come. Dashing Cody Rhodes is out teaming with drew McIntyre. Both look so young here. Uh, Cody still has no knee pads. I got a question though. This is a little weird and, and, and you, you there, you lived it. I can't ask this to any of my other co-hosts. When should a wrestler not wear knee pads? It seems like to me, you'd want to wear knee pads all the time. The only two times he doesn't have to have knee pads on would probably be showering or shitting. <laughs> I agree. Any other time that he's in a work environment, he needs to have on knee pads. All it takes is one time taking a bump to the floor. Uh, if there's concrete, uh, and you don't have it padded properly, or even if it is padded, you got to understand around the ringside is concrete with just a, a thin pad on it. You land on your knee out there, you're going to blow your knee out. You hit one of those posts or you hit those stairs, you're going to you know, tear your knee up. It's right. just one, one of those things that I would say 99% of wrestlers throughout history, or at least through my era, had some form of knee protection on, uh, 1% didn't the Ronnie Garvin's of the world, the guys, you know, apparently go, you know, Cody wanted to give it a try, but I think if you really truly ask him, that was his way of idolizing a particular wrestler somewhere, somehow, or that it, he felt like it gave him a better sense of, uh, being durable or, or maybe more mature. I don't know, but it's just foolish to not wear knee pads. He wears them now. I can tell you that. <laughs> uh, the anonymous raw GM makes an impromptu match. It's going to be John Cena and David Otunga, and they're going to win the tag titles from Cody Rhodes and drew McIntyre in six minutes and 27 seconds. Meltzer would recap it like this. It started with Rhodes and McIntyre coming out and McIntyre saying, all the boys in the back are scared of us. And then the computer says there's a team that wants to face them. Wade Barrett comes out and says Cena and Otunga would challenge them for the title. Uh, Cena works almost the entire match. Otunga keeps wanting the tag in. Cena's ignoring him for the finish. Cena would block crossroads by Cody and then put the STF on him in the middle and get the tap. Uh, Meltzer would say for some reason, McIntyre didn't even try to make a save. Otunga then does this big celebration. Like he had won something, which was funny. They noted he became a tag champion because of his partner. And they joked how Otunga is known for mooching off of his partner. Uh, of course that's an inside reference to, uh, him being Jennifer Hudson's fiance. Uh, Cena then said Otunga or Cena then gives Otunga the attitude adjustment, holds up both belts by himself. what do you think of this? I mean, it's an interesting twist. Uh, I guess we should remind everybody. Because of the prior pay-per-view, which we just covered in our archives, Cena is now a member of Nexus, uh, but a reluctant member wants to do it all on his own, wants no help from any of these guys, but now he finds himself as tag champs and he did it by himself. 
Well, I mean, that was one of the money angles of that period, the, you know, Cena's involvement with the Nexus. You know, th- their their numbers were so overwhelming. These guys looked incredible together. And, you know, it, every one of them was in shape. They looked unbelievable. And together, with Wade doing the talking, they were a formidable force to take over the entire company, much less just ruining John Cena's life. So this was one of those exceptions that you were, were able to get away with something for Cena, I think, without, you know, just having him destroy all those guys. Right. Uh, so, you know, I wasn't against that for that particular night, just the way it was laid out. And, and John was your lead babyface, so they were building him into being your lead babyface. So, you know, in a two-on-two situation like that, or even a two-on-one, because Cody and, and Drew were very young in the business, they were still rookies, Cena should have prevailed over those two, and he did. And for their story going forward with the Nexus, I think it was okay, and it, it probably fit for that point in time. This episode is brought to you by Blue Chew. Guys, remember the days when you were always ready to go? Well, now you can increase your performance and get the extra confidence in bed you've been looking for. Listen up. It's bluechew.com. That's blue like the color blue. As you know by now, Blue Chew brings you the first chewable with the same FDA-approved active ingredients as both Viagra and Cialis. Now, what's great about Blue Chew is you can take them anytime, day or night, even on a full stomach. So you can be ready whenever an opportunity arises. If you could benefit from more confidence where it really counts, Blue Chew is the fast and easy way to enhance your performance. Blue Chew is prescribed online by licensed physicians, so you don't have to go to the doctor's office or wait in line at the pharmacy. And of course, it ships right to your door in a discreet package. They're made in the USA, and since Blue Chew prepares and ships direct, they're cheaper than a pharmacy. Maybe best of all, no more awkwardness. You don't even have to leave the house. And right now we've got a special deal for our listeners. Visit bluechew.com and get your first shipment for free when you use our promo code ARM. Just pay $5 shipping. Again, that's B-L-U-E-C-H-E-W.com and the promo code is ARN to try it for free. Blue Chew is the better, cheaper choice, and we thank them for sponsoring the podcast. And remember, when you support our sponsors, you help make this podcast possible. So please be sure to use arm at bluechew.com. Yeah, I actually like the story. It is a little fun to see, you know, Cody and drew, of course, we know they're going to go on to be tippy top guys uh, in the WWE and AEW, both on top of the mountain on either show. And that was not the case necessarily here. So it's kind of fun to see, of course, Cena it feels like maybe most of his wrestling days were in the rearview mirror, but David Otunga, this is a guy who had a legitimate backstory that people could gravitate to it's it feels like he was one degree separated from a, a mainstream star he had an incredible look why don't you think he did more with wwe i mean he did fine on commentary but it feels like he could have been somebody with a lot more momentum than what we actually saw why don't you think it clicked better you know i i know that he would be here today and gone tomorrow and whatever that reason was, I think he was probably left unbooked for a lot of that time. But 
I don't think he got enough reps to actually see what he was capable of. And now he looked as good as anybody. Right. And a, and a handsome guy and a pleasant guy had a lot of, uh, you know, class about himself. Uh, I think the original, you know, if, if my opinion, uh, matters, I, I, and I never heard this said in closed doors, but I think in the back of, uh, Vince's mind that Jennifer Hudson was going to sing the national anthem at WrestleMania at some point. Right. And that no disrespect to David, but that was the goal and to keep David happy during that period, you know, because you're talking about a coup for WrestleMania. How big would that have been? Right. Uh, I'm sure if that was ever presented to her people, they said something along the lines of Jennifer, you're a worldwide, you know, pop star or whatever she would be considered. Uh, you're as, as hot as anybody on earth. You don't need to be involved with wrestling. I get that your husband is, is trying his hand at that. You're somewhere else in some other stratosphere. Uh, the office never got the memo though. I don't think so. Our office. I think that was the goal anyway. Let's talk about another big star. Literally the big show. We get a movie preview for his new movie, knucklehead, which the promo says will be out in theaters. Uh, slant magazine gave the film half a star out of a possible five stars. Uh, and they wrote the movie's title as quote, a description for both the film and anyone who chooses to be its audience. I think according to, uh, boxofficemojo.com it did open in some theaters and it drew $7,927 worldwide. Of course, that would not include television licensing, direct to video sales or anything like that. But the movie knucklehead doesn't seem like a lot of people saw it. Did you see it? I did not. And I love big show, but, uh, you know, not much of a movie guy. It better be something, and this has been that way for me my entire life. It better be something that grabs me. You know, uh, Butch Cassidy, the Sundance Kid, uh, Top Gun, you know, some of those type movies. Um, I did not see Show's movie. Uh, like I said, we're working all the time. But he did. let me just clarify this. He did get paid, right? Oh, yeah. Then Show was happy. I know him that well. <laughs> Next up, we've got Ted DiBiase. No, not that one. His son beating Goldust in seven minutes and 27 seconds. Goldust comes out with the million dollar belt. This is not announced as a title match. And unlike when his father held the same title and it was defended like a championship, this is just something you steal back and forth. This is all according to Dave Meltzer. The wrestling here was good. But the match had no heat. Maurice attacked Oksana to try to steal the belt back. Um, it sort of is what it is. Goldust has, has fallen for Oksana and she's distracted. DiBiase is going to hit the DDT and pin him after the match. Maurice is now holding the belt. Oksana attacks her, takes the belt. DiBiase then corners Oksana and she starts coming on to DiBiase who seems to like it. That allows Goldust to sneak up from behind deliver the final cut and Goldust and Oksana leave together with the belt. And Meltzer does note that throughout commentary, Michael Cole 
was defending Goldust in commentary. So maybe Michael Cole is turning heel or Goldust is turning babyface. Either way, this is kind of fun because we know, gosh, what, 20 years prior to this, we saw Dusty and Dustin in the WWF against Ted DiBiase and Virgil. 20 years later, guess what? Goldust is now wrestling Ted's son. So Dusty's son is wrestling Ted's son. This is kind of fun. I was a big Ted DiBiase fan. I wish he would have stuck around longer. I can't help but think what he would be able to do in wrestling today. It does feel like there's more opportunity maybe than there was when he was in the game. You saw this one for the first time in 10 years. what do you think about Ted DiBiase and Goldust here? Well, you know, I'm a, I'm a fan of, of Goldust. I had some of his very first matches and probably his first big angle, um, where I turned on him and, uh, when I was with Parker and, and the, that crew, uh, Colonel Parker and his guys, Monkhouse bunk and all them. Uh, so. I knew that Teddy, you know, had a lot of potential and Goldust was in a position to guide him. Really what this was, was a fluff ball of just remember the old kids game, keep away. Yep. That's what that was, you know, using the, the uh, million dollar belt as the prize. It wasn't meant to be serious or draw any money. It wasn't allotted enough time. It was just enough entertainment for a spot on the show. Uh, certainly Goldust, you know, always deserved to be on pay-per-views. He was just a tremendous talent, no matter who you put him with. Uh, and over the years, you know, his careers kind of went up and down with, with a number of variables involved. But the one thing that you could always count on, he is a top shelf performer. And when you write his name down, he comes to play. And, uh, Teddy, probably got out, you know, too soon, you know, can go all the way back to, I felt like when he was with Randy and Cody, those guys looked as good as any three guys on the card coming through the curtain. And they were really learning, you know, from Randy and from each other. And they were cohesive team that they got broke up too soon. And then Cody and Teddy got broke up too soon. And it was never the same after that. I think this is one of the first times I noticed that Goldust appears to have a trap door on the ass of his suit. I can only assume that that trap door is there to make some gold mud. Uh, hypothetically, <laughs> <laughs> do you assume that? Do you? Well, I'm just saying, I don't remember seeing a lot of trap doors in, in wrestling outfits, but I mean, I guess if you're going to be in that get up, it's probably going to be something that needs to be addressed at some point. Let's just say you had the wrong combination of, of uh, Mexican food. Sure. And it don't agree with you. And you got that rubber suit pulled up and zipped up and it hits you all of a sudden. You go haul an ass down the hall and hit the shitter. You probably ain't got time to wiggle out of that rubber suit all the way from being zipped up. You probably got to hit that trap door to make it happen without something really bad, uh, resulting. So you're probably exactly right. Next up, we've got Layla, the co-champion with McCool. She's going to retain the divas title, pinning Natalia in four minutes, 48 seconds. First Layla and Michelle McCool are going to cut a promo on people from Minnesota. They're going to talk about how fat the women are there. 
They're both going to make a joke about deleting text messages from Brett Favre, which gets the biggest reaction of the segment. Um, Matt Stryker would even comment. This was Shockmaster bad. I don't know about that. It gets a quarter of a star. Natalia does a delayed vertical suplex while doing quarter squats, which was different. According to Meltzer, McCool tried to interfere, but Natalia threw her into the barricade, but the match looked bad from there. At one point, Layla grabbed the belt and wanted to leave. Natalia ran outside and attacked her and throws her back in the ring. Michelle McCool then kicks Natalia in the head and Layla pins her. That's the story quarter star. Uh, I don't know. This one just didn't click, but I don't know if I'd go so far as to call it Shockmaster bad. What say you? Well, when you got Natty, you know, in the match, I, I don't think she's ever been involved in a quarter star match. No. Uh, and you know, Layla was just learning, you know, she was, she was still pretty green. Now, uh, Mrs. Undertaker had some skills and some aptitude and was an athlete. So whatever her part was, uh, even if it was just the kick in the head, I'm sure was convincing and it was what it was. Let's, let's face it. The whole concept is bogus. Two people sharing one title, right? We're always trying to give credibility to our business. And then you turn around and shoot your foot self in the foot, like something, something like that. There's no such thing as two people sharing a championship. So begin there and, and then ask yourself why you think it probably wasn't as good as it should have been. Next up, we've got Josh Matthews hyping up the buried alive match from inside the grave. And it appears that his head is above the grave. So of course that means there's no way it's actually six feet deep. Uh, as a background at Helen, a cell, Paul bear, who was with the undertaker turned on him. And that gave the victory to Kane two weeks later on SmackDown bear issues. One more challenge to the undertaker this time in a buried alive match. And Kane's going to beat undertaker in 16 minutes and 53 seconds to retain the world title. This is the fifth buried alive match ever. It's the first time a singles title had ever been on the line in one of these. In the prior buried alive match between the undertaker and Mr. McMahon, Kane buried the undertaker and that built to the return of the dead man and their WrestleMania 20 match undertaker at this point has lost twice in a row on pay-per-view against Kane. And unlike last time, the champion Kane comes out last lots of little nuanced things here. Uh, and I think this is actually their last singles match that we would see on TV. They may have done some stuff on house shows and things like that. what do you think of the match? It only gets one star in the observer. I'm sure that, uh, the crowd chanting, we want blood probably wasn't exactly something the office wanted to hear. This is as gimmick as gimmick gets a buried alive match. You saw it for the first time in 10 years. What'd you think? Well, you brought star power into it, but I think that's probably for me, the end of it. I just have never liked brother against brother. Right. Even if the two brothers are monsters, I didn't like the Hardys fighting each other. I didn't like the Steiners fighting each other. I don't like Kane and undertaker fighting each other. And, and again, in every, every contest, you have to have a, someone you're pulling for someone you're pulling against. I think at this point, both of them had become iconic already. Um, and it's two monsters slugging it out. 
you don't really have a weaker one of the two, so it's hard to get any sympathy on anybody. You know, nobody's really, if you really look at it and think about it, you never think either one is in peril or danger or, you know, uh, in a position where they may get hurt or get beat or whatever the situation is. It's just, it's hard to feel and get in somebody's corner when you got two monsters in there slugging it out. You just kind of watch, watch the massacre and, uh, that's kind of the way the audience felt about it, I think. And it's, you know, uh, it just is not my cup of tea. Savewithconrad.com makes saving money fast and easy, but don't take my word for it. Just ask Brian in Topeka, Kansas. He left us a five-star review and wrote Conrad Thompson and his team helped me and my wife own a home. Thanks for helping us with the best decision of our lives. No, thank you, Brian, for trusting us with your single biggest investment. What about David over in Manassas Park, Virginia? He left us a five-star review and wrote, I'll be honest, I was hesitant at first to use a lender I'd never heard of before. However, Jimmy and Jennifer made the whole process easy, and I got a great interest rate as well. In past experiences, I hated dealing with lenders because the whole process was always a mess and created nonstop headaches. Savewithconrad.com made the process streamlined and straightforward. I will recommend them to all my friends and family going forward. What about Veronica in Oakdale, California? She left us a five-star review and said, Derek is great. We had 20 years left on our mortgage. We took out some cash. We're still at 20 years and our payment only went up $80 and the interest rate is under 3%. Think about that. The cash you've been looking for, it's hiding in your house. Find out how much money you can save right now for free and how great our five-star service is at savewithconrad.com. NMLS number 65084, Equal Housing Lender. That's savewithconrad.com. Well, we at least got over Nexus. You know, this is sort of the same formula as every casket match Undertaker ever had. It looks like Undertaker's going to win. And that happens when he chokes out Kane with the go-go plot. Of course, Kane's trying to tap out, but there's no submissions here. So instead he just passes out and Undertaker slings him over in the grave. But then he spots Paul Bear, thinks this is a chance for some revenge. He throws him into the dirt. He's about to choke slam him when all of a sudden Nexus comes out and attacks him and they become too much for him. Uh, I kind of like that. You know, we're showing that Nexus is now going after the top guys, whether it's John Cena or it's the undertaker, kind of a fun deal here. Um, Kane uses his magical powers to blow fire out from behind the headstone and, uh, make the front end loader dump dirt onto undertaker. And of course the announcers are pivoting from saying it's a thousand pounds of dirt to it's 2000 pounds of dirt to it's 3000 pounds of dirt. Uh, it is what it is. That was actually said on commentary. Yeah. At different points. They were, they're referenced. That's a thousand pounds. That's two thousand. My goodness. That's 3000. Yeah. Now in, well, in, in actuality, you know, we're nerds here. So we did enough research. I think it's probably two to 3000. I mean, that's probably accurate, but either way, it's a gargantuan amount of dirt and it's a gargantuan mess, but I did like the Nexus piece. I may have the answer. The thousand pounds of dirt had babies. <laughs> it was that rabbit dirt triplets, quadruplets. Yeah. You know, I don't mind putting any heat on, uh, the Nexus. You know, I don't mind that part because it shows they're getting ballsy and they're going after the top dog. 
my question would probably be, if you're going to go there, wouldn't Undertaker at some point come back for revenge? Yeah. Probably pretty sure that never happened to my memory. We've got uh, our main event still to go. I get plenty of time too. 27 minutes and 43 seconds. Of course, we're talking about team SmackDown versus team raw for the second year in a row. It's the main event team SmackDown here is big show. Ray Mysterio edge, Kofi Kingston, Jack Swagger, Tyler Rex, and Alberto Del Rio with, I guess a mascot hornswoggle team raw is Miz, CM Punk, John Morrison, Ezekiel Jackson, Santino Morella, R-Truth and Sheamus. And uh, believe it or not, Meltzer says he's shocked by the finish. I was genuinely surprised at the outcome because SmackDown has gotten the better of Raw and most of the angles and key outcomes building up to the match on TV. Hornswoggle was dressed up like a Viking since they're in Minnesota. Um, Rex pins Morella with the first fall in two minutes and 35 seconds. The second fall is Sheamus over Kingston in 650. In the third fall, it's Morrison over Swagger in 1305. Um, Seamus pins Rex in 1429 after the brogue kick. And they're doing a little bit of a brawl outside show tries to run back to the ring. He's too far away. He gets counted out along with Seamus at 1526. Our truth then misses an ax kick and edge spears him and pins him at 1640. And then immediately spears and pins Morrison at 1707. Uh, punk gets edge up for the GTS, but edge escapes and hits a DDT edge goes for the spear and misses. And then Del Rio tags in. So punk and Del Rio trade moves until punk pins him with a backslide at 1802, but Del Rio's walking away smiling. And the announcers are telling the story that he didn't even care that he lost. And this appears to leave Miz and Jackson and punk versus edge. But as Del Rio's leaving Mysterio comes back out and attacks Del Rio and rejoins the match. Uh, of course he had been thrown into the barricade earlier and it looked like he was done for Mysterio pins punk in 2406 with a six, one, nine and a splash from the apron over the top into the ring. And then there is uh, a little bit of a mix up Meltzer would write Mysterio was then bounced around by Jackson. Jackson went for his finishing Uranagi when Mysterio turned it into a DDT. Mysterio then hit the 619 and was supposed to do a springboard splash for the pin, but there was a big mix up as Mysterio slipped. Either Mysterio told Jackson or Jackson decided on his own, but the move was botched and they should continue. So Jackson kicked out, but the ref counted three anyway. Nobody knew how to react to this, but they decided that Jackson was eliminated at 26 minutes and 10 seconds. And that leaves Mysterio and Edge against Miz. Mysterio is going to go for the six, one, nine, but Alex Riley, who'd been at ringside the entire match stops him. And that leads to a spot where Mysterio gives the six, one, nine to both Miz and Riley. He goes for the springboard splash, but Miz gets his knees up. Miz goes for the pin and Mysterio kicks out. And then believe it or not, Mysterio hot tags edge. He spears and pins Miz. And that's all she wrote two and a quarter stars. Lots to unpack here. First of all, the botch. I watched it several times and it does look like Ezekiel Jackson got his shoulder up after the three count, but very close to it. I mean, it might be like 3.1 seconds. So there is some confusion for the announcers. They're still probably trying to process the, the botched move from Ray. And that's going to happen. If you're going to do all these high risk acrobatics, eventually, uh, you're not going to nail one. And that's what happened here. What should the protocol be 
when a guy's supposed to hit the planned finish, but for whatever reason, it doesn't look awesome. Is there a rule of thumb that when in doubt do this? No, but I, I would say if it, <clears throat> if it didn't look good, well, I got Ray Mysterio and big Zeke that Ray had to look like a flea on the beach out there with Zeke for God's sakes. Uh, it had to be something flush out. Number one, I would have had show knock Zeke out anyway to protect Zeke. I'm not sure Ray beating Zeke was where you wanted to go with him. My God, that guy had tr- the biggest traps I've ever seen in my life. Yeah. Remember what Remember Zeke? Oh, dude, what? he looks like one of those, um, gosh, what uh, the uh, Mr. Olympia style builders with his monster traps. Yes. Pro bodybuilder. Just unbelievable. And he looks, it looks superhuman. It was one of those deals. I think you're probably testing the bounds of my believability, even though Ray <laughs> Mysterio figures out how to win. That one was a bit much. I uh, don't know if I would have went there in that, in that pairing, but you know, the rule of thumb is if something screws up, wrestle on, take a couple of minutes and get back to something else and just do something else for the finish. Somebody got to think in there and somebody got to react. Ray would have probably been the guy to have uh, done the, you know, the thinking at that time, a lot more seasoned than Zeke was, but, uh, across the board to have, what'd you have seven or eight pins in 20 minutes. Yeah. That's one long high spot. Yeah. And you, you never give the audience a chance to get into it, to get a guy really in trouble you know, to tell any storytelling because that many eliminations, you know, you could probably, you could have probably actually had one fall. And if you were going to do a bunch of high spots, you could at least got a couple of sets of heat and shut that guy back down and, and had a little bit more form to it. It feels like to me, it was just one long high spot. And if that's the case, the audience never gets a chance to really digest what's going on. It's like, you know, some matches go 20 minutes and you can't beat the other guy. Well, eight guys got beat in 20 minutes. Feels a little log jam to me. There's a line in here. And listen, we fans have always believed that raw was the a show. SmackDown was the B show. And we felt that way because we thought that's how it was slanted. And Lawler sort of removes all doubt with a line here. He says, if you become a big enough star on SmackDown, you can become a star on raw someday, which to me was like, yeah, this is definitely what the company thinks. I mean, in your opinion, was there an A or B show? Do we have it wrong? Well, I think that the thing that a lot of the talent felt because hell or high water Monday night, raw was going to be on USA network period. SmackDown got moved around and bumped around like the bastard child. You know, it was like nobody really wanted SmackDown. And the talent took it personally, the SmackDown talent. I know for a fact, you know, Finley was was one of the, you know, their main producers, if not the main producer. And it was, there was a division, you know, uh, when you had Undertaker on SmackDown and, you know, some of those locker room leaders, there was uh, there was a definite competition between raw and SmackDown and the, and the SmackDown guys felt like they were the a show. They were just slighted on their programming and how they were bumped around because every time you change networks and change times and change days, your audience has got to reset. 
and go and find that. They're not necessarily up to speed on it. And if they flip the channel and it's not there, they move on to something else. They don't immediately start researching. So there were some problems with SmackDown and being on the different networks, but certainly the competition, each got each uh, group of guys were, were very brand uh, proud of their brand and uh, pro pro brand. If that's the right terminology, but they were very competitive. Let's, uh, let's talk about the next match. This is the actual main event, but since it's named bragging rights and it's raw versus SmackDown, that kind of felt like the main event, but here's the background for Wade Barrett and Randy Orton for the world title or the WWE championship rather at hell in a cell the prior month, Cena lost against Wade Barrett, meaning he had to join Nexus to make it worse. The anonymous raw GM forces him to obey Wade's orders or be fired. So in a battle Royal on raw members of Nexus work to eliminate all the other superstars, leaving Cena and Barrett in the ring. Barrett orders Cena to eliminate himself, which makes Barrett the number one contender. So this is kind of a good story. John Cena is going to be in Wade Barrett's corner here. And after, you know, Barrett tells Cena, he would be fired. If he didn't win the match, the fans start chanting fire Cena, which is kind of fun. Uh, it's a good story. 14 minutes, 36 seconds. Meltzer didn't love it. Uh, he gave it a star and three quarters. Um, here's the finish. He goes to set up the RKO. Cena jumps in the ring and gives Barrett the attitude adjustment. The ref then DQs Orton and rules Barrett the winner. And Meltzer says, this is only slightly less stupid than when Kurt Angle was bleeding and Eric Bischoff ruled the match a no contest instead of a Jeff Hardy win. Your own corner man attacks you. So you get to win the match, even in convoluted wrestling logic. That makes no sense. Even less given the stipulations Barrett gave at the beginning, but it was sold like Cena outsmarted him by finding a loophole. So Barrett would win, but not get the title star in three quarters. So the, the gist being, Hey, if I lose you're fired, but to make sure he doesn't, you know, fall victim to this RKO and then lose his job. Well. I'll just hit him with my finish and then he'll win by DQ. I kind of like it. I know Meltzer hated it, but I kind of thought it was smart. What'd you think? <clears throat> Only way that works is you've really got to go in as the announcer and explain the layers of what I just saw. Did they cover it just like you covered it? That would be my question, right? Because it is confusing without explanation. With explanation, it does make Cena, because now Randy's a rat-faced bastard too at this time, right? Randy's a heel. Yeah. So Cena's not beholding to Randy. Certainly, I'm sure they've got already got a lot of water under the bridge. So Cena actually ends up screwing both guys. Correct? Yeah. But he he fulfilled his obligations to wait. Because Wade still won by DQ, but you cheated the audience out of, you know, seeing Randy do the RKO. So, I mean, if you dissect it, but you know, I've found when you got to stop and think about something too much to make sense of it, it ain't good. Sometimes it's not good. Sometimes when you sort through it and it was a complex deal, but once you get it explained to you, you go, okay, I get it. And maybe for the good of the program, that's what they needed on that particular night. Cause this is a long running program. It is. I, I am curious though, 
you know, it's sometimes fun to armchair quarterback it. What do you think could have happened to Wade Barrett's career? Had he won the championship here and then been working for the title with Cena eventually, it's just fun to look back and think, because we all agree that they cut the legs out from under Nexus too soon. But what if we went all the way with it? What if he did win the title here and Cena helped him and then eventually it became a three-way and then maybe it just went down to Cena versus Wade for the belt. That would have been a big time deal for Wade, but it didn't happen that way. Well, again, Wade had it all. The reason they cut all those guys water off, including him, who knows? Right. Uh, uh, but he would have probably had, he had that, that big a win at that point in his career, it would have just put him at another level. And, uh, you would have continued to be building on it. Wade would probably still be there. Let's, uh, talk about the overall, your, your overall rating on the show. Fans of the observer didn't exactly enjoy it. It got 60% thumbs down only 17.2% thumbs up 23.9% thumbs in the middle. The best match on the card, according to them for the second pay-per-view in a row is the opening match. This time it's Ziggler and Brian. The worst match they thought was Layla Natalia followed very closely by Kane undertaker. What'd you think of this show? Thumbs up, thumbs down, thumbs in the middle. Uh, probably somewhere in the middle. You know, if it was just there to build the video game and it was for bragging rights, which bragging rights, as we all know, you know, which we talked about earlier, you know, there's not a huge financial windfall or there's not a championship surrounding. It's just a fact that hey, X number of guys from SmackDown beat X number of guys from raw. And, uh, you know, that's what you get at the end of the day. That's the, the grand prize. So if it was to build the video game, it was probably just an infomercial for the video game, or at least something helping the video game get launched. Then if, then it was successful. But as far as being one of those pay-per-views where you come out of it and the results of all those matches lead you to something bigger and better. I'm not sure that was the case. Well, overall, I thought the pay-per-view was decent. I thought it told a nice story, but I do wonder, you know, especially to your point, I'm ordering two of these pay-per-views in a three or four week period, uh, two in the month of October here, and I'm getting a DQ in the main event. I don't know about that. I don't know that you'd fool me twice again. The next month I might say, ah, I'll just see what happens the next day on raw. You need to finish in the last match. Yes, you do. Well, that's, that's going to bring us to a finish. We appreciate you guys tuning in for this week's Arn. We'll be back with you next week for another hashtag ask Arn anything. We've got some great stuff. If you haven't already checked it out, please do over at adfreeshows.com. As a reminder, you get all these shows early and ad free. But one of the things we're doing is we're going to watch your Halloween habit 1996 match. This is your very last pay-per-view in the ring, right? Arn? It is. That's when I discovered that I was missing a left hand. We're going to uh, watch that together over at adfreeshows.com. Please join us. We hope you enjoy talking about Arn's in-ring career as much as you enjoy talking about the behind the scenes of WWE. And if you've got a question for Arn, it's simple. You can get involved right now. Just asking your question over at the Arn show on Twitter. That's at the Arn show 
All right, we'll be back with another Q and a hashtag ask aren't anything next week until next time he is at the Arn show. I am at, Hey, Hey, it's Conrad and we are out of time. We'll see you next week right here on Arn. Get your Arn gear at arnshirts.com and check out boxagimmicks.com, the official store of the Arn show where you can find gimmicks for the Arn fan in your life. New items added weekly. The most hated jeweler in America is excited to introduce you to someone very special. She's beautiful, classy, and she's brilliant. She will dazzle you. People can't stop staring at her. Meet Krista. She's easy. Wait, what? Krista is Steven Singer's most loved engagement ring and takes the stress and guesswork out of finding the perfect ring. A bright white, 100% eye flawless, near colorless, high quality, round, brilliant cut diamond, expertly set into a classic solitaire Tiffany setting that will withstand the test of time. Krista is available. She's ready for love and ready to meet you. Steven Singer isn't in the jewelry business. He's in the love business. This magnificent full one carat round, brilliant cut diamond is only 31.98. Real jewelry doesn't have to be expensive. Plus free shipping and 12 months interest free financing. Steven's showroom is open by appointment only or go now to IHateStevenSinger.com and click on the Krista ready for love engagement ring. Steven Singer jewelers, real jewelry, real experts for your real love. That's I hate Steven Singer.com. John brings his skewed sense of humor. Jeff brings tips to cut strokes off your next round together. It's those weekend golf guys. They'll pay a lot of money to PXG and Titleist and Callaway and on and on and on, right? How many yards do you think you're going to pick up with that extra driver? I think I can get an extra five to 10. What if I give you 15 to 20? (laughs) You pay me more. Jeff Smith teaches on the sliding scale. (laughs) Those weekend golf guys, the podcast, part of the Believe Network. Just search B-L-E-A-V on YouTube or wherever you listen.